Hey friend, thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Well, I'd love for you to join me in God's Word, as I said, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, the continued letter of the Apostle Paul to these Christians, Colossae. Today we're looking at who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We're looking at his identity and how that relates to who we are. I was thinking about that and thinking about how a couple weeks ago I lost my driver's license for the umpteenth time. Anybody else is like, you're with me? It's like, I lose my wallet, lose my license. Now, I, I see that hand. There's like two people that's going to admit it this morning. I uh, thank you for joining me uh, today and giving me some company. So, you know, I'm thinking about that, thinking about driving and what if I get pulled over? How am I going to prove I am who I say I am? I can sing about that. I am who I am because the I am says whatever it is. It's like, but when you're driving in a truck and you get pulled over, that doesn't work. I was thinking about that and I think about several years ago, I was in a hotel and it was a little bit more fancy than I used to get to be in. I was with Phillips, Craig and Dean. And one of the things about traveling that some people don't understand, it's not as glamorous as it looks. One of the pains of traveling when you're in one of these upscale hotels is you can't go to the refrigerator and get a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk. Can I get a witness? Like, you know, 11 o'clock at night and you get, you know, that hits you and go, man, I want a snack. All they have is this little refrigerator with these snacks, like a little thing of peanuts that cost $20. It's like, no way, I'm not going to do that. So this happened one night. So I had to throw on some shorts and T-shirt, and I think I'm going to go to the lobby and uh, get the vending machine peanuts or uh, peanut butter and crackers, and so, you know, for $1.50 over, you know, $20 in the room. So, you know, budget man that I am, I go down there, and uh, so I get my snack, and then I realize I don't have my room key. I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to get back in? So I go to the front desk and say, you know, I left my room key in there. She said, well, um, I can't let you in because unless you have your ID. And I go, I don't have my ID. It's in the room. Well, do you have any other forms of proving who you are? Well, I have friends with me, but they're asleep right now. I don't really want to wake them up. She's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I can't just let you in somebody in the room when you just say, this is who I am. So I'm, go, I'm flashing through them. What am I going to do? Sleep in the lobby? I'm ready to call my mom to get my birth certificate. I was like, I will not sleep in the lobby tonight. I want to go to my room. I said, we're going back and forth. And I go, oh, yeah, my rewards number. Can you look it up? It'll prove I am who I say I am. And so, so I remember the rewards number. And so I give it to her. And she said, yeah, I see one here for Andrew Craig. I go, I'm him. No, but your room says Sean Craig. I go, but, but Andrew, Sean Craig, that's my middle name. I am Andrew, I am Sean. She said, well, your names have got a match here. I know she was like doing her job, you know? It's like, it made me feel better to know somebody just can't come up and say, I'm Sean, get me in my room. So anyway, I'm thinking, she said, well, I can't leave my desk. And I go, 
what can I do? She said, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll go up to your room with you and let you in and you can get your ID. So she goes up to the room with me, I get my ID. And so the end of the story is I got my $1.55, $1.50 peanut butter and crackers and it was worth it. <laughs> but this case of mistaken identity, being able to prove who you say you are. And this is important as it comes to Christianity. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Who is Jesus? Because people have different ideas about who Jesus is. We sing about Jesus. We sing, all hail King Jesus. Maybe you're looking in on Christianity and you kind of have a good idea about who Jesus is. And he, he's popular. He's still popular today. Uh, but surveys that, that, that I read has, have both good news and bad news. The good news is that 92% of Americans believe in the historical Jesus. Well, that's good. But 30 to 40% of those who call themselves Christians aren't sure if Jesus was divine. That's a big deal. And it was a big deal to the Apostle Paul. And that is, that is really his message as we get into this section in Colossians chapter 1. Who is Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Is he the highest and the greatest? Is he supreme? Is he sufficient? Because there were those that were coming into the church and they were being saved and this church was flourishing in what we call modern Turkey. And as this church is growing and flourishing, there were those who were coming in and saying, hey, awesome, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. You need other deities and you need angels and you need to talk to other beings as well as Jesus because he is not enough. And they were mixing their paganism and some of the Greek philosophy in with Christianity. So Paul is going to go right for this because he wants to destroy these false ideas about who Jesus is. And I'm saying this today is because we too find ourselves in a similar cultural environment in that people like Jesus, but they don't necessarily believe that he is divine. And this is the crux of Christianity. This is what the Bible and Christianity hinges on. Who is Jesus? So I'm warning you today, a little bit of apologetics in this message. Those of you that don't know that word, that doesn't mean I'm apologizing for being a Christian. What that means is we're defending the faith. We're saying, this is who Jesus is. This is why it matters. Are you with me this morning? Okay, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes to them after he said, he has qualified you. He has delivered you by his redemption and the forgiveness of sins. But who is this? And he jumps into verse 15 in the New Living Translation. It reads like this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So God is invisible, but Christ is the visible image. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. This word here, supreme, is what we're keying on this morning. Supreme doesn't mean like, I'd like a steak burger deluxe supreme, please. No, this is like the highest. So like the Supreme Court, no higher court, it's supreme. Jesus is supreme, the Apostle Paul says. He is supreme because he is the visible image 
of God. And this word in the original language conveys this idea of, if we can say it like this, high definition, perfect, no substitute, perfect in every way, representation of who God is. So we can see the evidence of God. You might look up at the heavens and go, even if you're not a believer, you go, wow, maybe there is someone bigger than me. But the only image, the only proof that we can see of who God is is what the Apostle Paul says is found in Jesus Christ, that we find out who God is by looking at Jesus. Because there are other images that claim to be God. But there is one image, the Apostle Paul says. So I don't know if this happens to you, but it seems to me every time I get my driver's license, they pick the worst image. Anybody else is like, God bless you if you work the DMV, hats off to you, you got a tough job, I know you get all the razzing, but I'm just saying, the last time I went in, it was not a good day for the DMV. So I'm going in, I'm gonna get my picture for my new driver's license. She said, I just apologize right now, we're having some problems with our camera. So, she, so she's trying to get it to move up and down, and I'm a tall guy, and so she's, she said, can you, can you crouch? And so I'm, I'm crouching. She said, can you move to the left? And so I'm moving to the left. Move to the right, please. No, 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 no. Okay, she snapped me. She said, none of these will work. Can we try it again? So I'm like doing this again, and I'm like crouching, and, and finally she goes, I think we got one. And I look at it, I go, that's not me. <laughs> this is, no, that, no, that's fine. That works. I promise you, it's like the worst picture I've ever taken, the worst image. It, but she said, that's fine. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work for us. This was the problem, if I can say it this way, at Colossae, is they had an idea, had an image of who God was, but it wasn't the image. So Paul is going to correct that. They were saying Jesus is good, but he's not enough. And Paul is saying, no, he is the visible image of the invisible God. That may be your image of who God is, but what we're claiming as Christians is that Jesus is the perfect image. He's saying that Christ is supreme and he is sufficient because he is the perfect image of the invisible God. And he doesn't want to be misrepresented. It's an awful thing to be misrepresented, huh? When somebody says you're something that you aren't, a few years ago, my wife was uh, coming to where I was on the road, and my mom came with, and they rented a car in Asheville, North Carolina, and it was beautiful, Billy Graham, the Cove, and going to be an awesome trip. And so they get the car, and they're tooling around, and uh, using the car, and we turn it in. I get home, I check the credit card statement, and I see this charge for $200 from the rental company. I go, what's that? So I call them, and they say, oh, that is the smoking damage from the car, long pause, I'm thinking, and I said, you obviously don't know my wife, no offense. It's like, no offense against smokers, but my wife has an allergy against smoke. She does not smoke. She said, he said, I don't know what to tell you, there was smoke damage in the car, just right, really emphatically. He said, so who else was in the car? I go, my mom. <laughs> you guys know my mom, it's like, 
her and stogies don't go together. It's like, <laughs> no, my mom is not smoked. So we went round and around. It was like, it took us a couple months to get that rectified that I had to send an affidavit, affidavit that's notarized that my wife does not smoke. I don't smoke. We've never, you know, anyway, to be misrepresented. How does God feel when he is misrepresented? This is what Paul is talking about. He's not being mad, he's just saying, you don't understand, this is a big deal to Christianity. Who is Jesus? Today it's still true. Questions about who Jesus is. So my friends in the Mormon church or Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe some of you are listening and watching in today. But if you dig down into the statements of faith of those traditions, they don't believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God. They believe he was a God. And Paul's claim is that there's no room for a couple of different images. That Jesus is the eternal, perfect image of the son of God. Why is this important? Because if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about the poor? Look at Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about women? Look at Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about racism? Look at Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about you? Look at Jesus. He is the perfect image of the Son of God. The second reason that Paul gives that Jesus is supreme and sufficient is found in verses 16 and 17. For through him, God created, through who? Through Jesus. God created what? Everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, in the unseen world. So Paul is talking about what we sometimes call about, talk about war in the heavenlies, this unseen world we can't see. We believe in that. Paul believed in that. He said, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities in the heavenly realm that you and I can't see, this battle that's going on, that God in Christ created those angels who fell from their original state. So that's a whole other topic. But Paul is saying that everything was created by Jesus. So Jesus is supreme and sufficient because he is the uncreated creator who, get this, created everything for himself and for his own glory. All that is, all that we need a telescope to see and all that we need a microscope to see is under his dominion. As Andrew Kuyper says, there is not one square inch in the universe that Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. It's all his because he created it. So even the, uh, so I get geeked out on some of this stuff. I just love to look at some things that telescopes now that are amazing that they're picking up now like this, the Orion Nebula. So this ball of gas and dust is 1,500 light years away. So it would take you 
1,500 years traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. The light that you see from the Orion Nebula started its journey to Earth 1,500 years ago. What were you doing 1,500 years ago? That light was just making its way. This Orion Nebula, to go from one side to the other at the speed of light would take 12 years. This vast universe that God created in Jesus Christ is for his glory. Not only that, but the unseen world that is seen through a microscope. So they tell me, I'm not a physicist, but they tell me that all matter is actually not solid, but it's actually moving the seat you're sitting on. Electrons, neutrons, moving at a speed that if they were to travel around the world, they could get around the world in 18 seconds. That's happening beneath you. This unseen world was created for his glory. What holds it together? Verse 17 that's of chapter one says that God in Christ created all things for his glory. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. What Paul is saying is by the word of Jesus that was spoken in the beginning, all this began, set in motion, and it's held together by his word. This means that at some point when Jesus withdraws himself from the universe, the apostle Peter says that the elements will melt with fervent heat. It will like fold in upon itself. Well, this is amazing because Jesus, what he's saying, holds all of this together. And so when we look up or we look in, it ought to create some sense of humility, even if you say, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus, then at least you ought to admit you don't have all the answers. Science does not tell us what really keeps all this together. They have ideas about what started this. Their search for these subatomic particles and things like quarks and all those things. It's like, I blow my mind how wonderful science is, but science cannot tell us why this is still holding together. How are you at holding your life together? How are we at holding the world together? Oh, well, we've got metaverse now. It's gonna bring us together. Really? Facebook? Are you serious? Bringing us together? I don't think so. How are you at holding your heart together, holding your life together when it hurts? In Christ, he holds all creation together. That's good news. And this speaks to not only the worlds that have been made and all of creation, but also answers the two greatest questions that all of us have about life, and that is this. Who am I? And why am I here? Who can answer that? Science can't answer that. Who, who are you? Science can't explain that. Why are you here? Science can't explain that. God can. Who are you? You were made for God, for his glory, for his pleasure. 
And what is that, how should that impact you and me? It should be like this, that this love-hate relationship we have with our body. You know, you, you love yourself, you feel pretty good when somebody says, hey, you're looking good. I think, you, I think you're looking a few years younger, a few pounds, man. You're looking better than you have in a while. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. But then you look in the mirror another day, a few years down the road, and gravity has taken its effect on you. Uh, you just don't maybe love yourself quite so much. This love-hate relationship, even with your soul, not only your body, but with your soul. That you go, this person that you're afraid to let others see, that you hide, you hide from others. In the dark, you know who you really are, and you think if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And so you hide under a fake smile, or you hide with this gregarious laughter. God knows who you are, and he loves you. You were created for his pleasure. And and let me say this delicately, but I know there may be somebody listening or watching. You're considering permanently altering your body because I don't like myself. And I would just ask you to consider that your creator created you and he loves that body. And he loves your soul. He loves who you really are. You were created for him, and we need to feel that. We need to own that, and this should make us not just feel good about ourselves, but know that Jesus is supreme and sufficient. I was in my life group a few months ago, and we were getting ready to pray, and one of the guys said, I want you to pray for my sister because I just found out that she tried to take her own life, and he started crying. He said, man, I didn't know. He said, and I just also want to say, and he's looking at each of us, he said, if any of you in this room ever feel like you don't matter and you think about doing something stupid, you call me because you matter to me and it would break my heart if you did something like that. And I felt the weight of that. We all just kind of sat there for a minute in that, that feeling of mattering. And if somebody can say that to you and me and we feel it, imagine how God feels when you were created for his glory. And we would think about, well, I don't like myself, I hate myself, or I, I don't wanna be me, I wanna be somebody else. You were created in the image of God, you were created for his glory. And he is supreme, not only that, Apostle Paul says in verse 19, I'm skipping verse 18 because I want to talk about that Wednesday night, but verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Christ is supreme because he made peace with his his enemies. What Paul says is God was in Christ. We read this, it says, God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. You might go, "Uh, well, that sounds good. I'm not sure what that means. What it means is that the eternal God dwelled in a human being. And God wasn't like, oh, I don't know if I wanna do that. He was pleased 
in his fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ, that Middle Eastern man that we talk about, sing about, that we see in pictures and sometimes depicted as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. I don't think he was. I think he was dark-skinned. I think he was not necessarily handsome. The Bible says that there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He was a common man in every way except that God was pleased in all of his fullness to live in Christ. This Lord who walked the seas of Galilee, whose arms embraced children, whose hands, fingers touched lepers. That Jesus is supreme and sufficient as the Lord of glory because he has reconciled to himself all of his enemies. Now, some people read this and they go, see, universalism. Everybody's gonna be saved. Let me say it like this, that God in Christ began the peace project, but it hasn't been finished yet. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two people, two parties to reconcile. You might forgive someone, they might forgive you, but to be reconciled takes two parties willing to do this. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Oh, reconciliation and peace is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Uh, those of you that are married, that if you get estranged or you get in a tiff, I'm ashamed to say a few times in my, my, my marriage that I've been stupid enough to hold a grudge and hold on to something, and here we are in the same house, and I'm like, you know, avoiding her, making sure I don't walk in the same room. It's like, this is so stupid, why am I doing this? And finally waking up to say, you know, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And here's the best part, kissing and making up. Awesome, the blessing of peace, the blessing of reconciliation. Many years ago, I had a friend that we used to be close, and I discovered that there was an offense. So we talked on the phone, I was trying to reconcile, and just couldn't seem to go there. And finally, I, I said, you know, I'm just gonna get on a plane. I got on a plane and went out to him, and we talked, and we tried to reconcile. We kind of agreed to disagree, but there was no real reconciliation. And here's, here's the message of the gospel. Here's what I feel Paul saying, is that God in Christ, God did not just send another prophet. He did in the Old Testament. He didn't send an angel. God came in Christ himself, not on a plane, but was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth in a lower class home, and then was falsely convicted and then crucified and he carried his own cross. Why? To reconcile us to God. So I want, you, I want you to look at this man. I want you to consider this. I know it's hard to look at, but we need to look at it. This is the picture of sacrifice. This is a picture of God in Christ going to this level to reconcile you to God, to offer peace, 
the cost of reconciliation steep. God was willing to do that in Christ. It says, through the blood of the cross, God reconciled us to God. But your part and my part is to agree to reconciliation, to agree to peace. I don't wanna be your enemy anymore, God. I don't understand everything, but I'm, here's my life. The question is, is this Lord of glory supreme in your life? Is he worth your absolute devotion? Is he worth you singing in church? Oh, I'm too, school. I'm too cool for school, man. I don't sing. Really? He did this for you. Is he worth you giving your time, talent, and treasure by serving? Is he worth going on mission trips? Is he worth you submitting and surrendering your life completely? Following Jesus for God's glory. Believing, being baptized as these were this morning. Saying, Jesus, you're worth it all because you are supreme and sufficient for my life. I was created for your glory. Where are you with that? Is he your Lord? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Do you believe that? Are you living that way? Does your life say Jesus is supreme? Jesus is sufficient. I don't need other mediators. I need Jesus. And I ask you to turn to him this morning, my friends. Those of you that have never admitted that you are far from God and you wanna come home, that he will receive you. He's already paid the price for you to come home. Your part is to say, yes, I admit I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe. And the, your next step is to be baptized. Believe and be baptized. Jesus said that. Believe and be baptized. Have you done that? You can make that decision right now. I give you the Lord Jesus Christ, supreme and sufficient for all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the prophets. We thank you for angels. We believe they are still around us, but most of all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is supreme, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. And we say, all hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords. And God, I pray that my friends this morning, maybe who are far from you for different reasons, who maybe thought about you, heard about you, but they haven't admitted that you are divine, you are God, that this would be the moment that they would say yes to you, submit and surrender their lives. We pray that they would come home to you. And Lord, I pray for my friends who sometimes we get caught up in 
the busyness of life, circumstances of life, and our pursuits for happiness and joy, and you get thrown to the side. Lord, that we would once again put you at the center of our lives, our marriages, our church. Hold us together. Hold my friends together. Those whose hearts are broken, we thank you that you are enough to hold them together. And the marriages that are hanging on by a thread, you can hold them together. Jesus will be the center. We pray that you would be that, Lord, among us in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.